I'm Stephanie Lemick, and this is Building Trauma-Informed Workplaces. Before we get started on today's podcast, I want to go ahead and offer a content warning for our listeners. During today's discussion, we will cover the topic of childhood sexual assault or abuse. If this is not something that you want to listen to or can listen to, please go ahead and skip this podcast for now and make sure you're always prioritizing your own mental health and well-being first. I'm so excited today to have a special guest joining us um, for a conversation. So I will kick it over to Christy to introduce herself and we'll dive right into our conversation. Hi, Christy. Hey, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me a part of this. I've been very much looking forward to this conversation as well. So thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Christy, tell us a little bit about your background um, and, you know, why you are interested in trauma-informed workplaces or workplace mental health. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a third generation construction professional, grew up spending my Saturdays on job sites, never thinking I'd be in the industry. But once I kind of walked on to my first job site as employee, I fell in love with the people and just haven't been able to, to break away. That has turned into a 20 year career um, supporting this industry and the people within it from an HR perspective and not your typical HR sort of person, but really one to help impact the business and the people in a good positive way and been able to do some really good, really challenging, but really good work along the way. I would say when it comes to a trauma-informed workplace, and I'm sure we're probably going to get into some of these topics, I... I've got a personal vested interest in it with those very close to me having been really impacted by trauma in their lives. And the smarter I have become, not that I'm smart in this space at all, but the more that I have learned, the more that it's helped me be a better person, wife, partner, mom, um, to those around me and translating those skills into the workplace, I think is so key because trauma impacts so many people that we just don't even necessarily realize and, you know, so often naive to it. Um, so being able to open some of that up, I think can really, really benefit everybody. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, I mean, let's, let's dive in. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, how trauma has shown up in your life and how it's impacted you, you know, both personally and professionally. Yeah. So I grew up in a pretty vanilla, pretty boring, you know, beaver, the cleaver family sort of a deal, right? Uh, Parents still married 53 years later, you know, 2.0 kids, right? Always had a dog in the house grand scheme of things, like not a whole lot, right? We went through life, middle class in the Northwest, kind of doing our thing. And, you know, fast forward, meet my husband, right? And we've been married now, just celebrated our 23rd anniversary. Oh, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, and when we met pretty early on in our relationship, he had shared that he is sexually abused by his half brother. And at the time, and he kind of went, it. And I was like, okay, that's really shitty. I'm sorry that happened. Um, okay, let's move on. Right. And in all reality, that for the vast majority of our marriage was just kind of, you know, there'd be 
some familial struggles, some this, that, or the other, some ups and downs, but not a whole lot of conversation around it until recently, right? And by recently, I mean the past, um, I'd say five-ish years or so has become more of an impact to him and to our family and our marriage and, and those around us, really. So, I mean, obviously challenging topic to talk about. Um, sure. So stop me at any time um, mm -hmm. if, if, you know, we've hit a boundary, but would love to kind of, you know, understand how you felt as, you know, someone supporting someone obviously you love and care about a great deal who's had these, you know, difficult traumatic experiences that, you know, happened many years ago, but are now showing up um and affecting you know his life your life your family's life you now how has that felt how, what what has that experience been at least for you um as that supportive person yeah great question um it's ups and downs really right um i think there's been a lot of for me desire to know more right to know more of my husband's history and it, not the nitty gritty details, right? Like, yeah. but yet kind of, I wanted to, you know, to be there and be a support, but with him specifically, and for most men that are survivors of particularly sexual abuse or what have you, and for him, it happened for so, when he was so young and for so long, and he had some additional abuse later on, um, there's a significant amount of shame and a significant amount of un not even unwilling, but just kind of that unable to share some of his past and some of his story. And so really I've learned more of his story in these past few years than I ever did in the first, you know, 15, 20 years of our marriage. And so there's this desire to know and to be there and to be that resource. And kind of, it sucked not being there, right? Like it, I felt hurt because I wanted to be his go-to person. Like I got you, I can hold you up, right? Like I want to be there for you and I want you to be there for me. And he was filled with so much shame that that was really hard. Also, there is very little literature out there for uh, partners and support to those that have experienced trauma, particularly for those supporting male survivors of sexual abuse. Literature is dang near zero. And so while I wanted him to educate me on, okay, how can I help you? What can I do for you? What does this look like? That's not fair pressure to put on him, which I had to learn wasn't unfair pressure to put on him, right? But I had to educate myself and to learn more about history, impacts, brain development, all some of those sorts of things that was really hard to navigate that learning process. And as he's, you know, the impacts of trauma um, sometimes come and go, right? That's tough to, to navigate what each day looks like. Yeah, so a whole myriad. <laughs> whole whole gamut. And I, I mean, I think you've hit on something really important is that there is so much shame wrapped up in experiences of trauma. And especially when we talk about something like sexual abuse, especially sexual abuse, as you've referenced, that level of shame is just absolutely amplified. So it's this really challenging place where you're almost hurt for the person you love. You have such deep pain for the person you love, but 
I mean, it's nothing kind of in comparison to their pain and their experience. And then at the same time, you want to help and you want to fix it and you want to know so you can do better. And it's kind of finding that balance is, is, I mean, it has to be incredibly difficult for anything that you found that's been really, you know, helpful to you for kind of your own education or self-care to kind of find that right balance. Still working on trying to figure out the right balance, right? I would not yeah. say that I've got that figured out, but I, I think you, you hit on it, right? That self-care. I, being my family, being who I am, and I've been the sole breadwinner for our family. I have worked in HR supporting people. I've been there with my family. I have done a pretty crappy job of prioritizing myself and my needs as I look past. And that's something that I've had to learn and has helped immensely to be able to say, I'm going to do this thing for me. My go-to, by the way, is to get a massage once a month. I have to turn my phone off. The lights are quiet, right? Like the world continues to revolve, right? And there is other things that come into play. But, you know, my husband's always been there. It's like, yep, you need to go do these things for you. But to actually go do that and be okay with that enables me to have that time and space for me when he isn't necessarily able to give that to me and go back and be there and support him with whatever's going on in the day. Something where you can disconnect like any device, like massage, yoga for me is a great one because it's like no one can come into my little bubble. Um, great way to turn off. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of sharing stories and, you know, your husband had shared his experience with you, you know, early on in your relationship and more so now. And, you know, there was this moment for me personally, um, I think we all kind of reflect on, you know, the Me Too movement and how people started sharing their, their stories, their Me Too stories. And I remember someone shared this post and it really, it stuck with me because I think it's so important and it's such an important reminder when we're talking about trauma and especially when we think about trauma-informed workplaces, is that experiences of trauma and their stories kind of belong to the survivor. So mm -hmm. their decision to share, who they share with, how much they share, it, I mean, it is your decision. It's up to you as a survivor. And for some people, sharing is empowering. Mm -hmm. Sharing, you know, can be cathartic. Sharing can help heal. And for others, it does not, and mm -hmm. it doesn't add value. And so I think it's so important. Um, and I'm probably going to say this for the rest of my career, but it, it's so important that we never, you know, try and force people to share um, experiences of trauma or share their stories when it's not completely their choice. So, you know, you reference, you know, you want more information. Mm -hmm. You, you want to know more so you're able to support better. How? How do you kind of balance that, you know, getting more information, asking questions, listening, and kind of respecting the boundary of, you know, your husband's experience and what he's willing to share? It's tough because I want to know, right? I yeah. want, I want to have a conversation. I want people to feel comfortable sharing with me. Yeah. That's all about me. Right. Mm -hmm. 
that's not fair to put on other people, particularly survivors, particularly about something that, you know, experiences that can be so shameful and they've likely been carrying around for years and unwrapped up real tight and real safe. And so it was really through conversations with my husband and we were in a couples therapy session at one point and the, our therapist was using an analogy of me chasing my husband around a tree, right? Pursue, 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 pursue. And he started like running around the tree. And I'm like, no, but I could get you. Tell me I wanted more information, right? <laughs> and my husband's like, essentially like, I hate being chased around a tree. And I'm like, I don't like running around a tree. Uh-huh. None of us like this. But all of a sudden it became so clear to me stop chasing someone around a tree, in this case, my husband, right? Take that step back, if you will, to carry this analogy a little further, lay out a picnic blanket, grab a snack and say, hey, I'm here when you're ready, whatever that looks like. And all of a sudden, the stress and the pressure of having to share or having to hold it in just started dropping. And I stopped worrying about having to need to know. It's like, nope, I'm here when you're ready. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's amazing. I love that analogy, by the way, it's like, it's perfect. It's perfect. So, you know, you mentioned that this kind of resurfaced in the last, you know, five years or so, you know, would you mind sharing a little bit more about kind of maybe how that kind of popped up, you know, if there were any triggers or any kind of effects that, you know, your husband experienced or you and your family experienced? Yeah. So for my husband in particular, so he, his abuse was discovered in the fall months. And so every fall became a little bit more triggering for him um, because some of those memories would start to come more to the surface around four or five years ago, and every fall kind of got a little worse and a little worse. It was just um, essentially looking back now, he would struggle with bouts of depression. Wouldn't necessarily use those words, wouldn't necessarily, didn't, I didn't have the language to talk about it in this sort of a way, right? Like this is me like, oh yeah, looking back. But four or five years ago, our kiddos are now in college and in high school. We're getting a little bit older, needing less from him, more time to kind of sit in that space and to think about it. The other thing that I also think is really important, even as we translate this to the workplace as well, is that there, there's a bevy of research out there that survivors of, of trauma or abuse and what have you are more apt to have memories come back or be able to face some of that trauma and work through what a recovery could look like when they're feeling safe. So the safer that they feel in their home environment, within their work environment, with others, what around them enables them to free up that capacity to start addressing their past. And so I think a lot of those things were kind of coming together. We had settled down, we'd stopped moving, some things kind of all combined to a bit of a, a breaking point, an extreme word, um, but a bit of a tipping point is likely a better phrase for him to really face some of these things head on. How did you process receiving some of this information? We talk a little bit about 
you know, secondary trauma or even just, you know, the overwhelming, like hard feeling of hearing, you know, something devastating that's happened to someone we love and care about deeply. So how, how do you find a way to take care of your own mental health? And then also at the same time, find a place you find that space to hold for your husband? Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, I would say one of the things I just, I don't know whether it's naturally good at, whether it's my own upbringing or have you, but I am pretty darn good at holding space for other people in the moment and just being there and listening and allowing that to happen. I would say that that's a skill that's probably treated me well in the work that I've done, right? As well as in the home and being there to support him. So I think that there's some skill set there. The stories and some of, you know, my husband's timeline and some of the details is he felt more and more comfortable sharing bits and pieces of it, which I still don't have all the bits and pieces, but I've got some. Fueled with some anger and hurt and frustration and all sorts of emotions. And there's, you know, navigating, okay, being aware of what those emotions are now acknowledging them and moving forward. And, you know, from a, I don't know about tactical perspective, but I had an individual therapist for a few years with who was experienced and worked primarily with trauma survivors. And so as my husband and I would have conversations, I'd go into a therapy session with her and say, okay, so this latest thing just happened and this was a response and this is how I responded. And so there'd be some learning and education as well as processing for myself, right? So to be able to have a really knowledgeable, safe place to go talk about some of this um, was knowing that that was there was really helpful and helped me navigate. Absolutely. I, I love therapists. I love my therapist. And I think it's just... There are so many moments, and I mean, certainly the moment you're describing here is a place where you can go and just process your own feelings, and it's about you, and you can kind of get through that and move forward without kind of any of the effects to any anyone else. Um, it's so important. Stephanie, I grew up um, until really not that long ago thinking that people who went to therapists were trying to fix something that they were broken, right? Like it was a, a remediation. You went to a doctor, you try to fix something. Shame on me, right? I, right. And to everybody else out there listening that thinks that that's not the case. Sorry to burst that bubble, but therapists are there to provide support, to be that resource. And as my husband was going through some of the hardest times of his life, um, of navigating and processing a lot of memories that came flooding back to not have him there to necessarily support me because he's trying to work on supporting himself, to be able to have someone to go to, to help me process that and to help say, hey, Christy, you're doing a really great job. I'm really proud of you. This is really hard. And to be able to get that support and validation is like empower, a little sad and empowering to be like, yes, okay, I got this. And now I can continue to go back and be a good wife and mom and partner and so forth. And so just want to hit therapists aren't just, you know. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Because it's such an important point. And I think, I mean, there are, there are a lot of people, you say the word trauma at work you say the word therapist at work yeah. and it is like oh no and 
like a therapist is just another amazing tool to help you be the best version of yourself. Like I fully mm-hmm. believe that it's a self-care tool. We, we, we kind of talk about self-care and like the fun, like bubble bath massage way. But self-care is also like the hard, like looking internally, working on yourself, tricky stuff too. Um, I'm glad you said that because it's so, so important. You know, maybe some folks listening to this podcast today have experienced trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe it's trauma that they have feelings of shame or guilt around and there's a person in their life who they're close with, who they love very much, and they want to share, but they're afraid to share with that loved one, you know, as the loved one who's, you know, received, you know, the information, the sharing from your partner, do you have any advice, words of wisdom, encouragement for folks who are trying to find that space, but maybe just don't know how to get there or worried about what the impacts may be? Yeah. Trust your, trust your partner, trust that person that you want to go talk with, right? That you, that you love and you care about, that they love and care about you as well. Uh, you know, for my husband, there are some details he didn't share, some later abuse that he experienced that he didn't want to share with me for fear that I would leave, right? Is a short story that I would think less of him. Um, and that's not the case. I felt, if anything, the opposite. I, my heart swelled, right? We all know like the, the Dr. Seuss, right? And the Grinch heart swelling, um, that there was things that he was holding back, right? And I could only imagine what that meant for him to hold back and to be able to be there for him just filled me with some joy and love for him. What I, in terms of advice for those that, you know, are, are listening and maybe want to share, maybe don't want to share, afraid to share, have shame around that. I'd encourage you to think about what would help you feel just a little bit more safe, right? Just a little bit, whether it's having the conversation in a certain part of your home or out for a walk or laying some ground or like, I'd like to tell you something and I don't want a response, right? Whatever boundaries, physical, mental, emotional, that you can create to share just a a little, right? Because a little can lead to a little bit more and a little bit more. Think about what's going to keep you feeling safe. And then even if you're in the moment, even if you set up all of the things, right, and have the conversation, and you're not there, and you're not ready, that's okay, Give yourself that grace to say, hey, I know we talked about it, but I'm not ready. Maybe next time. Yeah. But you took one step further than you did yesterday. That's phenomenal advice. Thank you so much, Christy. That was beautiful. Yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit. And I want to mm-hmm. talk about, you know, the workplace and workplace support. So, you know, you've shared, you know, your experiences with trauma have been supporting a loved one Mm -hmm. who has experienced trauma and, you know, how, how did the workplace kind of play into that experience for you? You know, maybe the workplace help you better support your husband and yourself and how maybe did the workplace kind of work against providing the right level of support for your husband, yourself, your family? 
Yeah. So when my husband was going through some of the, the thickest parts, um, I was working at a really great, really supportive organization that as my husband's, you know, sharing more with me, I, you know, it's stressful. It is draining. Um, it is exhausting. It was quite a, a bit at some points. I was able to, and let me, let me back up. So it, with kind of my husband's journey, it culminated kind of that tipping point was he went to inpatient care for five weeks, happened to be from right before Thanksgiving to right after Christmas, right? Cover the holiday season, if you will. During that time, there are work impacts, right? I was, you know, being asked to travel and asked to do things. And so I shared with my direct manager of, hey, my husband's going through some stuff. And I didn't share a whole lot. Wasn't my story to tell either. And I need time. I need flexibility. I've got two kids at home, right? Yes, I've got this travel. We can make it work. Parents are going to come watch the kids. We're going to do the things. And to be able to have a manager that I could go talk with and share just enough, right? Where everybody felt safe and understood and have them say, we're here for you, whatever you need, right? How could we support you? Was one last thing I needed to worry about, right? In the middle of all of the things and the whirlwind that was happening, just to be able to have that support was so incredibly just a, a relief, right? It wasn't something I even had to worry about amazing. That's great. Yeah. You mentioned, I mean, we talked about earlier, it's up to a survivor, how and when they tell their story. And you just mentioned now, you know, it's not your story to tell. And, mm -hmm. you know, a manager that still kind of found that balance of providing the right level of support, but respecting those boundaries. And now you yourself are an experienced HR leader. So when you think about leaders, managers, HR professionals listening in, what advice would you give them in terms of balancing that support, that empathetic leadership with, you know, asking questions and kind of needing to know what's going on with your team member? Yeah, and we get into a little bit of a sticky situation, particularly kind of for the HR professionals who are like, well, if you need time off for FMLA, then I'm going to need XYZ paperwork to go do the things, right, to give you the benefits. And, you know, some HR people are like, you know, I've got to have the paperwork. Okay. Yes, you need to make sure your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. All of those conversations can come and details can get figured out. What I'd recommend for any manager who's, you know, has an employee coming to them, whether that employee's you know, navigating trauma themselves or supporting someone who's navigating trauma is to to be there and to listen and to ask questions and also be okay with not always getting an answer, right? You know, it's about knowing your person, right? Which man, we can have a whole nother conversation around how to get to know the people working for you, right? Whether it's a as a HR partner or, you know, a, a manager or supervisor, if you will, and what that looks like. But understand, you know, when someone's coming for you, what support can you provide in the moment? And what do you have to have in the moment? And no one needs an FMLA piece of paperwork done in that moment, right? That can come. 100%. I think no, two, you know, folks very familiar with FMLA paperwork here are talking on the podcast. 
FMLA is, I mean, FMLA is great. It's a wonderful benefit. It's a wonderful tool and protection for employees, but the kind of paperwork compliance side of FMLA, I think sometimes it's so, so easy as an HR professional to really lose sight when you're having a conversation and your instinct is to pull out that paperwork to take a pause because you are probably, this is one of the first, if not only time someone is going to use FMLA. It is, sometimes it's planned and sometimes it's a very positive thing, like parentally, but other times it can be a really upsetting, terrible, traumatic, chaotic moment in someone's life. Mm -hmm. And you have to take yourself out of this thing you do 10 times a day and pulling out the paperwork and instead think about meeting someone where they are in what could be one of the worst days of their lives. I mean, you Mm -hmm. just don't know. Um, And I've, that's, you know, frequent advice I give to HR professionals starting out is like things that become very commonplace for you and repetitious for you are kind of these really high stakes conversations for people, their lives, their livelihood. So keeping that context top of mind is so important. Stephanie, I think that's a brilliant way to put that. And yes, right, for HR professionals, laying someone off, giving some a raise, talking to someone about taking, you know, paid leave for what, you know, medical, whatever the things are so common and yeah for the person sitting on the other side of that table it's not right how often does an employee come in and say hey i need to take my some time off because my husband's going into inpatient yeah never right like the (laughs) not conversations that ever happen and whatever that looks like so i mean to, to echo maybe underscore what you said about meeting folks where they are yeah, you're going to have to cross those t-shirts, but how can you meet someone where they are in that moment and be there to be an ear versus a paper filler outer? Yeah. And I think, I mean, the most meaningful moments of my career have been those moments where someone trusted me and I could find a way to support them, certainly as an HR professional, certainly as a leader, but more than anything as a human. And kind of that shared connection, wow, this person told me something really personal, or this person had to have courage to ask for this help. And, you know, I mean, we've both worked in the construction industry. So there are these moments where people, you know, had a really hard time. People, especially in our society, construction, I'd say, is just a exacerbated view of it. But... I would say throughout our society, we as people are really not good at asking for help, right? And demonstrating some of that vulnerability and needing help. I am sure that there are studies and research on it. I don't know where in childhood that starts to turn off and become not okay, but particularly as adults and particularly in the workplace, right? asking for help is such a sign of um, incompetence or viewed as incompetence, as opposed to how can you help me so that together we can make something great. Right. And we all need help sometimes. It's mm-hmm. such, it's so universal. We all need, we all need a little help sometimes. 
that's yeah. okay. That's just how, who we are um, as people. So no, I, I think that that's such a great point. One thing I did, I wanted to ask is, you know, if you think about what you could change about, you know, the modern workplace as it relates to, you know, supporting individuals who've experienced trauma or supporting individuals who are affected by someone they love's experiences of trauma or other, you know, mental health concerns, you know, you've got a magic wand, you know, what would you make different? Hmm, what would I make different? Um, I think one place at workplaces, I don't even think it's that hard to do, to be honest with you. And maybe I'm just naive because it's not even about culture shifts. I think people are getting there and I think culture is shifting. I think my experience of what I've seen in terms of mental health benefits what's covered from a, you know, whether you're visiting a therapist, whether you're going in for inpatient care, what have you, like that wealth of coverage is bankrupt, right? The, the benefits are just not there. There's a, there's a balance. I look at, you know, creating change that's structural change and behavioral change, right? The behavior change is the, is the culture. And I think we're getting there, but the structural change around what, organizations are providing for mental health benefits, for example, trauma recovery. It's just not there. And some people are like, oh yeah, you can go see a therapist eight times for, you know, a copay of $50 a piece or what have you for an inpatient. Oh my, like it's, that's not going to get folks navigating trauma recovery or those su supporting someone navigating trauma recovery that's barely a, a drop, yeah, a drop in the bucket. Um, absolutely. And I mean, $50 eight times can be cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. I mean, out of pocket can be cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. Even if your insurance does cover a therapist, something changes and you're kind of stuck with this choice of like, maintain this relationship with someone who I trust and feel safe with? Or do I start all over again with someone new because it's covered by my insurance? Even if the financial aspect of accessing mental health care isn't a top concern, can you find a therapist that is taking new patients? And can you find a therapist that can meet your specific needs? And when we talk about diversity on top of that, can you find a therapist that looks like you, that has similar experiences to you? The lack of access is such a huge problem. And I love what you said about the change and then systemic change, because yes, we can talk about normalizing mental health care all we want until we're blue in the face. But if there's not access, to it. If there's no mental health care to go and get, we're not making any changes. The only change we're making is highlighting a lack of access for people. They know they have a need and it's not available. So I'm with you on that magic wand moment for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I even shared what a great response I had when my husband went to inpatient care mm -hmm. and I was like, I am an HR professional. I'm not a benefits guru, but like 
like, okay, I understand what our coverage is. I understand what this place is providing. I understand what paperwork I'm going to need to get from the facility my husband went to, all of that good stuff. After two or three appeals, I don't know how many round robins we went on, our insurance still didn't cover inpatient. We were out of pocket 100%. And I thought I had all the things to do. I knew the right people internally to talk to, to help me navigate. Nope. Still ended up out of pocket, right? And it's just... I'm glad that we were able to financially overcome that hurdle, but for so many that can't or, you know, get stuck with that bill in the end going, oh gosh, right? You know, not only have I gone through this emotional, you know, journey that we've been on and are continuing to navigate on because just once someone comes out of inpatient doesn't mean it's all sunshine and roses, obviously it's a a new road to be rebuilt, right? And what that looks like. And then to be stuck with, you know, this as well. I know you talk a lot, Stephanie, about kind of all the aspects of wellness, right? Financial wellness being one of those big components. And as you're navigating all these things to then get hit with that, it's just one more thing. You're you exactly what I was thinking of too. You know, we talk about feeling safe and how like safe that feeling of safety safety is foundational to mm-hmm. any kind of successful life successful work successful trauma recovery and an aspect of safety is financial safety and i think everybody knows that healthcare is incredibly expensive and cost prohibitive i think a lot of people know mental health care is frequently not covered so mm-hmm. it's this perfect storm of, hey, I need help. I need support for my mental health. But now I'm worried if I go and seek that support, the financial implications for me could be so devastating. Like it's a terrible position for people to be put in to need access to something, but by accessing it, they could be creating an even worse situation for themselves. Yeah. So if I had a magic wand, right, I think it's for organizations to take a real hard look at what that is. And sometimes it's not even the organizations, it's the benefits providers and the insurance providers themselves. We have over the course of these last few years found some really great therapists that have specialty in, in, those of, you know, men, male survivors and navigating that as well as family systems. And, you know, like we want a therapist that does all the things and then we go and is accepting new patients and is available to do right. All the things. And then we show them our insurance. They're like, no, right. We don't take that insurance because your insurance provider doesn't play nice in the sandbox when it comes from mental health care. And so it's not even just the organization, Stephanie, I wish it was. Um, It's more, it's more than that. So yeah, if I had a magic wand, it's create the structure for everyone who is ready to raise their hand and say, I need help for them to be able to access that help and get the support they need. Absolutely. Oh, I'm using my magic wand for that too. I think it's it's a huge one. And it's it, your point. It should be so complicated, but it is somehow incredibly complicated 
to resolve this issue of Christy, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. I appreciate, you know, your candor and your willingness to chat so much. Is there anything, you know, before we wrap up the podcast that you want to share with the listeners who've joined us today, um, you know, about what you've talked about or just anything else you want to share with our audience? Yeah, um, I guess for, for the audience listening, just I hope that you hear you're not alone, right? It, whether you are navigating trauma yourself, whether you're remembering things from your past, right, for the first time, or whether you're supporting someone else out there, right? You're not alone in this journey. There are those out there that might be a step or two ahead of you, might be a step or two behind you, might be right there with you, but you are not alone in how you navigate this. And there's, they're tough to find, but there's resources out there to help support you. And anybody who wants to chat with me, I'd be happy to, right? Just help provide that support and a couple things that might have helped me along that way. Amazing. Amazing. I so appreciate it, Christy. This has been an amazing conversation. Every conversation I have with you is always amazing, um, but so appreciate you sharing your story and experience today with us. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, be well. Thank you.